Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Tech Sergeant Donald Rudolph. Tech Sergeant Rudolph would serve with Echo Company, part of the 2nd Battalion, 20th Infantry Regiment, rolled up under the 6th Infantry Division during the Second World War in the Pacific Theater. The action we're going to talk about today, for which he'd be awarded the Medal of Honor, would take place during the Battle of Luzon in the Philippines in February of 1945. So to step back at a big picture, February 1945 is about six months before the end of the war. About six months from this date, the U.S. would drop the first atomic bomb on Japan, and that would kind of get rolling the, the eventual surrender. Now, between now and then, we still have some major battles. You're still going to see the Battle of Iwo Jima and the Battle of Okinawa. Some of the bloodiest battles of the war are yet to be fought. So even though the end of the war is in sight, we're still a lot to do before, before it's actually here. To... Let's talk the Philippines for a minute here. You know, the war started December 7, 1941, with U.S. force with Japanese forces attacking at Pearl Harbor. The following day, December 8th, Japanese the Japanese landed in the Philippines and started to take over that series of islands. So the Philippines are about 7,000 islands. It's a pro-U.S. population. the The U.S. had forces there under General Douglas MacArthur. And they were tied in very tightly with Philippine forces that fought for about six months to repel the Japanese invaders, but they didn't have much of a chance. They were outnumbered, outgunned, were the, the U.S. wasn't really going to be able to resupply. The, the Philippines are closer to Japan than they are the United States. It's not even close. And especially after taking kind of the beating that the U.S. did at Pearl Harbor, the U.S. and Philippine forces were pretty much on their own. So they held on as best they could for about six months, eventually were eventually surrendered, taken prisoner, um, and, and, and processed to uh, POW camps. So that was in 1941-1942. At that time, the momentum is 100% in favor of the Japanese. They, are, they haven't really seen defeat yet. They are... In, I mean, there's, you know, they've lost battles here and there, but they've got the momentum. The United States, on the other hand, is reeling from Pearl Harbor. We've, we've lost Guam. We've lost the Philippines. I mean, it's, we're in a tough spot trying to get our feet back underneath us. But eventually we get rolling in, in what would be called kind of an island hopping campaign where we're moving towards the eventual invasion of the Japanese main islands. And to do that, the U.S. has to establish bases along the way you can't attack from the United States into Japan. It's You need to be within range for your fighters. Your bombers have to be within range. You want to have port facilities to, re- to repair your aircraft carriers and your battleships, your landing craft. You don't want to have to bring them back to even back to Hawaii, let alone the United States. You want to have things forward that are closer. So the U.S. starts, U.S. and, and allies start taking strategic islands one at a time. It starts in 1942 with Guadalcanal, and then you'd see it kind of through the Central Pacific, where the U.S. would focus on the Marshall Islands, then the Marianas, and then eventually would turn their sights in late 1944 to the Philippines. 
So the Philippine islands were important for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, that it was a, there's a strong relationship there between the U S and the Philippine people. And it's different than a lot of other islands in the Pacific during the second world war. There was really the idea of liberation, kind of what the U S and, and the allies were doing in the European theater of actually landing and liberating areas from Nazi occupation. That same idea of liberation was, um, around the Philippine campaign. There was a deep water port, which was going to be important for the coming invasion of Japan. Remember that's still on the docket. Everybody's planning on this happening. We don't know at the time that it's actually not going to be a thing. And then there's some airfields that allows for, uh, bombers and fighters to go within range of other strategic objectives going forward. So the Philippines are going to be important. The fighters, the Japanese fighters in the Philippine Islands are, we're starting to see by 1944 are not, don't really have a chance. They can inflict massive casualties on Americans and that, but they're not, they don't really have a good chance of winning the battle. We're talking about momentum earlier. And by this point in late 1944, the Japanese have fought and lost two major naval engagements, the Battle of the Philippine Sea and the Battle of Leyte Gulf both in this region of the Pacific, and it's really stripped them of their naval capabilities. They're, they're no longer an offensive military. They are now really only a defensive force, but they don't know that. That's not, it hasn't really sunk in, maybe is the right way to say it. Um, it's not as though tactics change at the drop of a dime. It's just their capabilities to, to conduct offensive operations have pretty much disappeared so what that means for troops, Japanese troops on these islands is they're not going to have a good chance of resupply. They're not going to have a very good chance of reinforcements, of evacuating their wounded. And it got pretty nasty in a lot of these fights. In some cases, that would happen in the Philippines as well. Japanese forces would would fight until the death and wouldn't surrender for anything. There were cases in the Japanese in the Philippine islands where soldiers would hang on fighting for months even years after the fall of Japan. But one way that it really took hold, especially in the Philippines, was the soldiers, the Japanese soldiers, weren't able to get the care and treatment and supplies they needed. So you saw a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot die of starvation and disease. The Battle of Luzon by itself would see 200,000 Japanese soldiers killed. Some of those by at, at the, American, the hands of the American military, but much a big part of that number is disease and starvation. To put that in perspective, the U.S. lost just under 300,000 total in the Second World War. The Japanese lost 200,000 on Luzon. Here's another one. The U.S. lost 53,000 in World War I. The Japanese lost 200,000 in Luzon. It's just a, just a nasty point as the war transitions and momentum shifts. And now the United States is winning battle after battle, taking island after island as they charge towards the inevitable invasion of the Japanese homeland. That's kind of the stage that we're looking at by February of 1945 when Tech Sergeant Rudolph and his men are fighting across Luzon. There's a ongoing battle and Rudolph is treating some of his guys that are wounded. And as he's doing so, he notices a series of Japanese soldiers, a group of Japanese soldiers firing on his men. He assaults in that direction, finds three in a culvert, kind of a depressed area that, that was providing them cover. And with hand grenades and his rifle takes out all three. 
from that spot, he's able to see a series of bunkers that are holding up his entire company. And he, you know, it's not obvious how many there are at the time, but these bunkers are different than you would see in other conflicts. And a lot of times it would be a series of rein, you know, mutually reinforcing positions. And you might be able to fight from a position for a few minutes and then run away and exit. Um, so the, you know, maybe the back of it is open or there's a trench system connecting them. As we progressed through the Pacific campaign, you saw more and more instances where these bunkers would be dug into the ground with one entrance and one exit. And what that meant was really the Japanese would sit in there and fight until they died or were killed. And that was it. Think of it like, you know, a hundred or more Alamo positions with one to five Japanese soldiers in each one. And you, they're not going to surrender. You can't bypass them. You have to figure out how to get them out of there. So Rudolph identifies this first bunker and under fire moves in their direction. And as he gets close to it, throws a grenade through the opening where the rifle, where the Japanese be pointing their rifles and machine guns out. Grenade goes in, detonates, doesn't kill everybody inside. So he gets on top of the bunker and peels back the cover. It's going to be a steel, metal, wooden contraption kind of covering the bunker, the entrance. Peels that back, throws more grenades in, closes it back up, kills everyone inside, destroys the position. From that position, he sees another. He starts moving again under fire to this second machine gun position. And this time, before he starts off this time, he at least calls for his guys and says, cover me, lay down, suppress fire. He starts moving towards their position, finds a pickaxe and uses that pickaxe to break a hole through the roof of this bunker. With a hole in the roof, he starts dropping grenades in the hole, covers the hole back up, destroys the position and everybody inside. Tech Sergeant Rudolph does that six more times. He destroys eight total bunkers, pillboxes, dug in positions during the Battle of Luzon in quick succession. That's crazy to be able to do one after the other like that and survive. But he's got his technique down. He just goes. He knocks out six, saves crazy amount of lives to be able to do that. But before the day is over, he and his unit come under fire from a Japanese tank. Now, there's trade-offs with all these weapon systems. So the tank, while they can absorb a lot of small arms fire and not uh, take a beating, they also have limited visibility and makes them susceptible to certain types of attack. This is one of those types of attack. Tech Sergeant Rudolph charges the tank, climbs on top, opens the hatch, and drops a white phosphorus grenade into the tank and closes the hatch back up and jumps off the tank. That grenade... It's meant to smoke. It burns incredibly hot. It's just a nasty, nasty, it's an incendiary grenade, smoke slash incendiary grenade. And it's in a tight area in the tank. It kills everybody inside, um, destroys the tank, neutralizes the threat, saves the lives of his guys that were pinned down by the tank. That's all in one day. That all happened on February 5th, 1945. Now, shortly thereafter, Rudolph would be battle, would earn a battlefield commission as second lieutenant, and he'd make it home. He'd survive the war. He'd make it home and would be awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions that we just talked about during the Battle of Luzon in the Philippines, February 5th, 1945. He would be presented that award on August 23rd. 
That's eight days after the Japanese surrendered to end the Second World War. So Tech Sergeant Donald Rudolph, then Second Lieutenant, or then Tech Sergeant Donald Rudolph, eventually Second Lieutenant Donald Rudolph, awarded the Medal of Honor for actions on Luzon, Philippines, knocking out eight Japanese bunkers and a tank all by himself right towards the end of the Second World War. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.